Hey, Bill, a fan from Alabama, John Mean, sent in a question. He said that he thought your punch was the best in the business, and he threw out Fargo and Lawler and Bobby Eaton, and he wondered what your opinion of some of the better punches were. And wanted to know if it was uh, came easy to you, or you had to work, or was it natural, or... I think everybody could punch. You, you don't think when you're doing it that you're kind of working. You just throw the punch. And, and Lawler was good at it. Fargo was good at it. Bobby Eaton was good at it. I was excellent at it. <laughs> so it, you, you don't give it no thought. You just do it. Well, at least when you first started out, did you have to work on it or did you? Yeah, I guess you could say you worked on it, but you, back then you did forearm jolts to the chest. It wasn't punching in the face when I started, and that's something that just came. When American wrestling came to Australia, we started watching Mark Lewin and Skull Murphy and Brute Bernard and all them guys punch to the face, so we started doing it, so you just had to learn it. So I guess over time, you just whatever you do, you get better at it, so... Like I said, I got to be an excellent puncher. Hey, you know, uh, a few guys that's worked, you might say different. They might say it came, <laughs> it, it wasn't hard for you because you, you really sunk yeah, them in there. You were... Yeah, sometimes it depends <laughs> if I liked you or not. Well, uh, another fan sent in, uh, what's the story on putting uh, the Fabulous Ones together? Well, we needed a team, and we put them together to switch them heel. And they got over so good as baby faces, and this happens in the wrestling business back then. If you take a baby face and switch them heel, and it doesn't work, they're deader than Kelsey's doodads, and they don't draw no money. Well, we got scared and thought, their guys are over so good as baby faces. If we switch them heel and it doesn't click, they'll be dead, and we'll be dead, and all the time and effort we put into them will be wasted. So we just left them babyface, and we put Jackie Fargo with them so they could be the fabulous ones, just like he was the fabulous Jackie Fargo. He managed them because he had a lot of charisma, and they're both friends of mine, but they didn't have half the charisma Fargo had. So we took his charisma and their wrestling ability, and you saw what happened. We had the fabulous ones. They sold a few pictures too, didn't they? Yes, they did, just a few. <laughs> I had a, a fan had a follow-up question. When you went down to Georgia for a short while and took Cornette and a, for Ole and did a show a short time there, there was the new Fabulous Ones, and it was Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Reed. Or maybe y'all tried to do that in Memphis. What? Uh, how'd that come about? They didn't have Fargo. No, that, that would, would see, it didn't work nowhere. The Fabulous Ones were... were Tennessee born and bred and, and around the neighborhood that we work because of the fabulous Jackie Fargo. Who did we do that with? Rich and Gilbert? Yep. Was I there? I don't think I was no. there. I think they did it on their own. Yeah. So they must Kind of fizzled out. Yeah, well, when the boys do their own stuff, it fizzles out because they don't put enough time and effort into it. Actually, I think that guy had that wrong. Uh, when you went to Ole in Georgia... It was Bobby Fulton, not, not Bobby Fulton, uh, yeah, Bobby Fulton and Terry Taylor you put together as the Fantastic Ones. Yeah, the Fantastic Ones, yeah. yeah. And did a little twist on it before he did so the Fantastic. did that thing, yeah, but Ollie didn't like that, and Ollie didn't like Adrian Street. Anything that was showbiz, Ollie didn't like, but in the end he had to kind of like it because that's how the business was going, and I liked it, and I was the booker for him on some of the things, so... 
What can you say? Oli's just Oli. All right, we'll, we'll save that one for another time. All right, for all you chicken breeders out there, if you're looking for new chicken coops, you call Chicken Partners at telephone 336-391-9773, and you will get a hell of a deal, and you'll get 10% off, and tell them the superstar told you to call. Well, I, I just watched a, a honky-tonk, Wayne Ferris interview, and he normally only shoots out negative things, but on this one he was a little bit more upbeat and positive, and he said the territory was down, Memphis was down a little bit, and him and Larry Latham came in, and the Blonde Bombers worked you and Lawler, and business was down, so Jerry Jarrett asked him, could y'all do something, ask all of you, could you do something a little unique or special or go a little wild in, in the town that night and happen to be Tupelo, Mississippi. How did that come about? Is that actually the one they still talk about today and swapping videos of the, the concession brawl? Well, the reason Tupelo, Mississippi was picked, Eddie Marlin owned the concession stand, him and Herman Sheffield, so if anything got broke or whatever, and we jumped over the concession stand a hundred times and nothing ever really happened. We got over the concession stand, and I don't really know Wayne Ferris, and they're cousins, you know Jerry Lawler and Wayne Ferris are cousins. Right. I don't know if there's a lot of love lost there or not, but Lawler got over there, and there was a big jar of pickles, and he just picked it up and threw them at Wayne, and never, if they had hit him, it would have hit him, but he saw it coming, and he ducked, and it hit the wall. So then Wayne picked up something and threw it at Lalo. The next thing, we have brooms and sticks and all kinds of things, and we're fighting. So <clears throat> nobody set that up. It just happened. And 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 sometimes in professional wrestling, the things that just happen work the best, and that worked real good. But I think there was a little heat between Wayne and, and Lawler or maybe the whole families. I don't know. I never ever saw him hug and kiss and make up and do nothing. So I have no real idea, but Lalo started it by throwing the jar of pickles at his cousin. Well, uh, you know, uh, interesting that he was in Memphis and he made a few bucks down the road by dyeing his hair black and wearing some jumpsuits. <laughs> ah, yeah. Somebody must have made an impression on him. Jimmy Hart, all right, Jimmy Hart told me that they liked the gimmick in New York, but Bill Dundee was really too small for it. So Wayne Ferris dyed his hair black, bought a jumpsuit because he was six feet tall, and he became the honky tonk man. And he wasn't—he—he he was. I mean, he was—he was good at it. He looked all right in the jumpsuit, but it was a second-hand. What would you say? It was a second-hand thought, I guess. Vince wanted a guy in a jumpsuit, and honky tonk fit the bill. So that's how that became about. And it worked out okay for him. Yeah, it worked out for him, and I'm glad he did. And, and, uh, all right, if you're all out there and you're looking for a new roof, why don't you give Baker Roofing a call at 901-574-7775. And if you call that number, tell them the superstar told you to call, you'll get 10% off your new roof. Hey, Bill, we can't uh, talk about Old day wrestling without talking about NWA World Heavyweight Champion, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Um, uh, I think there's some something going on between you and him over the years. 
two or three things I did here, he thinks I, I was the booker. The power of any came in here to work with me. And the, all the buildings sold out, but the, the match was booked flare against Dundee. But when we got to the town, I had lost the Southern Belt on TV that week before, and Coco Ware won it. And the guy that had the Southern Belt was who wrestled the world's champion. When he came in, that was how it was set up in Memphis and all the areas around. So when Flair got to town, apparently the taxi driver said to him, Hey, Rick, I hope you beat Coco Ware tonight. He said, Coco Ware? I'm not wrestling Coco Ware, I'm wrestling Bill Dundee. He said, Oh, no, they changed that on Saturday. Well, when Flair got to the building, he was livid. He came in screaming, calling Coco the N word and all kinds of. Nobody ever had a hammer he was there, so Big Dust was here. I'm kind of glad he was because he went to him and said, Let your boy calm down, calm down. Shoot an angle here, calm down. No, fuck, calm down. I come all the way here to work with Dundee. Well, here's the thing, and Flair kind of knew this. If the champion comes to town, you can do two things you can put him over, or you can do a DQ. And I wasn't putting him over. Mm because I lived here, and he would be in one shot and do the thing. So I changed the match. I needed an opponent for the week after he left. So I thought it was good book. Rather than a, a notch on Flair's belt, you were looking to do business right, the following week. do business the following week, because he's gone doing yeah. business somewhere else as the champion. And we're dead on our ass with no opponent for Bill Dundee. So I got this bright idea of letting Coco win the the thing on TV, so that made him the Southern title. So now when Flair leaves that next week, we have a, an angle to fight for, the Southern belt, Coco against Bill. So that was what going through my head, but that wasn't going through Rick Flair's head, so that would be some of the thing in the heat, I guess. So I, I have no idea why he, 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 he does the things. Now, that he did. Do you think that led to any tension later between when you both went WCW? Never saw him much. He was on the booking committee, but it, it, it was useless. I mean, it, when you're the world's champion, you're in a different town every night. He, his lifestyle was altogether different. Somebody working in an office, going to town every night and setting up matches and doing this and doing that. Flair never did that. So when they put him in the committee, because he was the world's champion, there were all marks that run WCW, Bill Shaw, the other, what was the other guy's name? Herb. Herb, yeah. What, what was his name? Herb, Jim Herb? Yeah, Jim Herb. Yeah, Jim Herb, Bill Shaw, and there's about five of them all wore suits and didn't know a freaking thing about the wrestling business. So they thought Flay would be this or that, so they made him the boss of the committee, and so... I guess that could be some of the heat. It was always business to me, but Flair obviously took it personal because he everything he does on that Facebook thing today about me is personal. Now y'all almost crossed paths last month in Hot Springs, Arkansas, an event, but you got ill and it didn't work out. Um, did you have any parting parting words? Uh, he wasn't there. Yeah, he, ne he never showed up. Well, do you have any parting words to the Nature Boy? No. I think that's a point of contention. I think you think somebody else should be referred as the nature boy. You've said before. Oh, yeah. The, the Buddy Landale was uh, <laughs> the, the, the real nature boy to me was Buddy Landale. That's enough said. All right.
Evansville, Indiana. I'm going to be there on uh, July the 28th at 311 Hillcrest Terrace. I guess that that means. And from 3 to 5, we're going to do a seminar. Seminar? Yeah, you're yeah. going to be at the, um, the uh, St. James West Methodist Church. There's going to be an event, an uh, old-school championship wrestling event that night. But from 3 to 5, all wrestlers, valets, managers, referees can come out and they can get information on the admission uh, to come out and learn from the superstar himself. That's July 28th. Right. Thanks. Bye.